The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, the Trident Room podcast host, Zach Ward, sits down with Professor Eric Dahl. So, hello from the Trident Room podcast. I'm Zach Ward, and today I have Professor Eric Dahl. Uh, from NPS here with me, and he's an associate professor in the National Security Department at NPS, and he's on the faculty of the Center for Homeland Defense and Security here at NPS. He's also a retired naval intelligence officer, a 21-year career as an intelligence officer. Most of Professor Dahl's work focuses on intelligence and national security. He has a book due for release this winter titled The COVID-19 Intelligence Failure, Why Warning Was Not Enough. Today, we'll be discussing the importance of conveying national security information to the American public and why that matters. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your career, and um, not just as an as a active, uh, active duty Navy officer, but afterward in, in academia and mm-hmm. uh, some, of the, some of the lessons you learned uh, in both of those career fields and yeah. uh, how it can apply uh, to NPS students. Yeah, glad to. And first, Zach, thanks for having me. This is a really great opportunity. Actually, it's my first time doing a podcast, so I, I, it's kind of fun to, to give this a try anyway. Uh, and I really enjoy having the chance to talk with you and, and then talk with, with others or listeners uh, about NPS and about the experience uh, of what folks get here. Um, you know, I, as you mentioned, uh, I was a Navy officer. I was a Navy intelligence officer for uh, a career. Uh, and after that, got into the academic side of things, went back to school. Uh, unfortunately for me, when I got in the military, there was no GI Bill available. So when I retired, I had to pay for my grad school six years full time uh, <laughs> on my own. So my, my wife was uh, definitely looking uh, to me about when I was going to get a job. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm a little jealous of all of our students here who are able to, to do this uh, and get it paid for. Um, I already had a master's degree and, and had some other education before coming to the Navy, so the Navy never wanted to send me for, for more graduate <laughs> right. education, and I regretted that. But, but I can tell you, you know, I, I actually uh, ended up getting into the Navy sort of by accident, uh, and I was actually a newspaper reporter uh, in a small town in Oregon uh, years ago, uh, and I wasn't quite happy with that. Uh, I was wondering about something else to do. And my best friend from growing up in high school was a Navy officer, so I thought maybe try out the Navy. I don't know what about that. So I walked into a recruiter's office in a little strip mall in, in this little town called La Grande, Oregon. And the guy behind the, the desk, I uh, later learned, was called a senior chief. I didn't know what that was. Uh, and he, uh, he, he liked me He said, wow, you've got a lot of you know, interesting background. Uh, we could, could use you. Uh, you know, right now we're recruiting for intelligence officers. And I said, that sounds pretty neat. What does an intelligence officer do? And he kind of scratched his beard. You could wear beards in the Navy way back then. Tells you how, how old I am. <laughs> I, and he said, you know, I don't know what an intelligence officer does, but if you sign here, you're going to find out. And so basically, I, I signed there. And for 21 years, I, I found out. And I thought it was pr- pretty good. And now I'm really pleased to be able to have this sort of second gig here teaching at NPS. Well, that's great, sir. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think uh, something you said really resonated with some of our previous conversation, which was, I don't know what an intel officer does. Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty common common theme yeah. uh, I found, not just with, uh, with the military, but with the intel community in general. And I think that relates pretty heavily to 
uh, some of our previous discussion about how, you know, national security information, especially in the form of, of intelligence, uh, national or military, uh, is largely, uh, you know, difficult to comprehend or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to not not as much in the in the output, but mm -hmm. you know where where it comes from and what what does the intelligence community do? Um, so can can you can you talk a little bit about that about why that that perspective uh, is is important? Mm -hmm. You know, a, a big part of what I think I do and what I, I like to do both here at NPS and more more broadly when I. Uh, write articles and books, and I appreciate you giving the plug for my upcoming book, by the way. <laughs> yes, Thanks sir. a lot for that. Um, uh, but I think it's important that, that we all have a better understanding of intelligence and more broadly about national security issues, especially the public. Uh, I mean, certainly it still applies to, to our officers here at NPS, you know, somebody who's not in the intelligence business. I love it when they take one of my courses on intelligence. We can talk about things, and there's a lot you can talk about at the unclassified level. Um, but even more, I think it's important that in our society, we have a better understanding of all of these important issues, especially as, as we all know now today with the war in Ukraine, open source intelligence, you know, private intelligence companies are becoming such a big part of the, the picture. But also our government intelligence agencies, CIA and others, they're putting out unclassified products all the time. And it's important for people to understand a little bit more about how that all works and that it's not all, you know, just like James Bond movies and stuff like that, which are cool, but that's not the, the reg at least it's not the, the job I had. Oh, right. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I guess on that note, do, do you think that collectively uh, the, the national security apparatus does a good job at portraying uh, or conveying a lot of that information to the public, or do you think there's, there's room to improve? I think there's a lot of room to improve, especially in the intelligence business. You know, I, I always like to say, and my, my students have probably heard me say this, uh, that our intelligence community does a lousy job of bragging about itself. And of course, part of that is for a really good reason, that intelligence agencies don't like to talk about what they do because it could give away sources and methods. You always hear about that. Uh, in particular, and here's where it becomes sort of a paradox, we don't like to talk about intelligence successes because the things that work right in the intelligence world, and I think it applies to the national security world often more broadly, the things we do right are still going on probably. We're still using those techniques, so nobody wants to talk about them. So all we hear about is intelligence failures. Now that's a big part of my study is about intelligence failure and how you can, can turn a failure into a success. But the problem is that our, our public gets this view that we're either intelligence officers are either you know superhuman uh, you know Tom Cruise or, or uh, James Bond or you know they're a bunch of clowns uh, who screw up all the time and you know the truth is probably somewhere in the middle <laughs> right I think getting to another point which is you know why why should the average American care so much about uh, national security matters like why why mm -hmm. Why does it? Why does it matter? Well, that you're absolutely right. I think it really does. Um, but uh, the main reason is because our our whole society, our system, our our system of democracy, depends on everybody being engaged at least a little bit. You know, uh, and the problem is when, as we all know now, I'm not saying anything that nobody doesn't know, uh, is that we're you know we're all bombarded with so many messages. You know, now there's too much information out there, and, and nobody knows how to how to process it. You know. Back, way back in, in my day, you know, we had this term we called Afghanistanism. Mm. And that was meant, this was, you know, this was way back. But the idea was that Americans didn't care about far-off places they couldn't even pronounce, like Afghanistan. Of course, we all learned that a, a 
far-off place like Afghanistan can really impact our national security on a very, very real basis. Now, more recently, we've had sort of a smaller version of that. A few years ago, if you'd asked most Americans where Ukraine is on a map, they probably wouldn't have had much of an idea. And now we all are learning that a war in a far-off place that maybe you didn't even know where, where it existed can, can affect us, not only our national security, but also the, the price of, of groceries at the, at the supermarket, you know, supply chain problems, those sorts of things. So it's all those reasons why we need to have a better educated public and a better discussion about all these important national security and intelligence issues. And that's why I think it's important that we all whether you're a, a student here uh, at NPS or a professor here, you know, we, we take part in that debate. I've heard an argument that the national security apparatus, military, intelligence, intelligence agencies in general, exists to kind of take on that burden, to make it so that the American public doesn't have to worry about those things as much, which I think there's a, de- a kernel of truth to. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question. I'm going to have to write that down and bring it up in a, in a class. To, that's a great question for discussion. But, you know, you, you sound a, a lot like that, what's that famous line from A Few Good Men, you know, that, that you know, we stand on the wall protecting the, the citizens who don't want to know what's going on. And my line, my shtick is that we all need to do a little bit to tear down that wall. Uh, Obviously, there are still very important classification, security classification issues, and, and there are some things that are you know, very technical, very hard for, for the public to get a handle on. But I think to the extent we can, with part of our ourselves, our professional lives, uh, we need to be helping people understand these important issues. And that, that's why, for instance, I, I, a lot of the faculty here, including me, we like to talk publicly, like to Rotary Clubs or, or World Affairs Council uh, groups and citizen groups to talk about these issues so that they can kind of understand things a little bit better. You mentioned that a lot of your work focuses on intelligence failures and, and how they can become successes. Uh, do, you, do you have an example, one that really sticks out in your mind or, or one that might be fairly commonly known that well, would help people frame that? Yeah. Well, first, I think I can put it in perspective for our military officers and our other students here at, here at NPS. And, and again, some of my students may have heard this story before. Uh, but when I got in the Navy, when I finally you know, joined and did what that senior chief wanted me to do and became an intelligence officer, uh, I still remember the first day, maybe it was the first week of basic intelligence training. And we had a, a lecture from some Navy lieutenant. So at, at that time, you know, that was super high ranking. We were all very impressed. Uh, and he was telling us about the worst failure of naval and U.S. naval intelligence in our history, which was Pearl Harbor. And he compared that with the greatest success in American naval intelligence history, which was just six months later at the Battle of Midway. And he told us that our job, what we devote our, our lives to as intelligence officers in the Navy, was to prevent the first failures and make, uh, uh, make uh, the effects ready to, to have a success like Midway. And we thought that was great. And we were all going, ooh, 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 you know, and, and we were all motivated and we wanted to run out there and do our job. But I realized later he hadn't told us anything about how to do that job. And the problem is, and here where it's come back to our, our students today, I think, uh, I spent my 21 years of my career still not really knowing what that difference was. I mean, you know, the job is to, to show up every morning, uh, you know, drink a lot of coffee as an intelligence officer, you know, do a good job, give good briefings, whatever. But I never had the chance to be able to sit down and think about really what it means uh, to, to not 
uh, have a failure and to have a success. What's the difference there? Uh, and I didn't have that chance until I retired and was able to go back uh, and work on my PhD dissertation, which became my first book. And so I am really pleased that our students, that you get a chance while you're here uh, to sit back and, and think about some of these issues that otherwise, you know, you just don't have, have the time to do it. But, but I'll also say for, for all of us, uh, you know, all Americans, uh, for everyone out there, and we can see uh, when we have uh, an episode like the January 6th uh, uh, episode, the, the uh, assault on the Capitol, whatever you, you think about it, uh, I think that it was clearly, in part, an intelligence failure, that, that there were lots of warnings ahead of January 6th, but they weren't listened to. And so here is a case of intelligence, of, of organizations that, that gather information, that provide intelligence assessments, but they ended up not being listened to, and something terrible happened. And so that just shows why these issues about intelligence, they're not just in history, it's not just about Pearl Harbor, uh, and they're not just behind closed doors. They're issues that affect all of us uh, really every day. Right, and that, and the effects of, in particular, January 6th, the Capitol riots, that, you know, that continues. We're still talking about That's it. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. We are trained to at least be thinking about whether information that we are taking on board might be uh, a deliber deliberate deception, might be wrong information, how to verify that information. You know, often in the Navy we call that good gouge rather than bad gouge. And one of the ways I look at it that, that the American people need to to learn to step back a little bit when you take on board information from whatever it is, social media, from the news, TV, or whatever it is, you know, kind of approach questions and issues the way you would as an intelligence officer. Think to yourself, okay, what's the source of that? You know, could that be bad gouge? I want to get the good gouge, and, and we can kind of help make that process work, I think. Let me tell you another sea story, not necessarily about the sea, but another story from my experience that I think maybe helps me at least to understand why it's important that all of us try to engage in these discussions, even if they're outside our comfort zone. And it's important in a democracy we all do that. And that's a story uh, coming from back uh, toward the end of my uh, active duty uniform career. I was teaching at the Naval War College in Newport, you know, kind of the East Coast sort of version of Naval Postgraduate School in a little bit way. And we were having a great, I was a, a professor there, military professor as a commander. We were having a great discussion in, in class about questions that I think would be really familiar today. We were talking about the future of warfare, about the different value of, of ground forces versus naval forces, air forces, stuff like that. And I thought it was going great. But then my co-instructor, uh, we active duty uh, folks taught along with typically a retired, uh, formerly very senior officer. My co-instructor raised his hand and kind of out as if to, to stop me. And he was a a retired, very senior Marine officer and, and a civilian professor. And he said, Eric, just a minute there, I'm going to stop you now. Because if you haven't, this is what he said, if you haven't led troops on the ground in combat, you don't get to have an opinion about the implementation, about the employment of ground forces. Now, you can imagine that that stopped me cold, you know, and I was a more junior guy, and, and he was, you know, I respected this guy, and so I shut up, and that was the end of that discussion. But I've thought about that ever since, and I think that even though he certainly had a point, you know, certainly, you know, if you're going to read an article, if you're going to take orders from somebody, uh, you know, in the tactical uh, uh, implementation of ground forces in combat, you're hoping that person has some experience. But I think it's wrong to think 
that only people with direct experience in exactly what you're talking about are entitled to an opinion or can be part of that discussion. Because how far could you take that, for instance? And this is what I, I just didn't realize, and I didn't, wouldn't even have wanted to debate him right in class way back then. But you know, do we want to say that only our officers here at NPS today who have flown jets in combat get to have a discussion about Air Force? No, I don't think so. Uh, do we only want members of Congress who have served in Afghanistan uh, or Iraq, for instance, to be able to vote on defense appropriations? No, that's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for, for two reasons. Or at least it's wrong. I, I shouldn't be that, that harsh about it. But it's wrong because for the one, uh, the one side, we know that often some of the best ideas, the most innovative ideas, come from people who have sort of an outside view of things. But and the second reason is what we've been talking about before, that in our system of democracy, we all get a say. And it, we all get to be part of that discussion. And that discussion is, is better anyway. And so, so that's why I think it's great that here at NPS, for instance, we have such a, a great variety uh, of, of students, uh, specialties from around the world, some civilians as, as well. Uh, and so I, I think that's just the lesson also that, that civilians outside NPS should realize that, you know, okay, you know, they may not have served in uniform, um, but they should be able to engage in a discussion about national security issues, uh, and, and we can help them do that. Absolutely. Professor, as, as we collectively move from a period of the global war on terror into what we now call great power competition, mm -hmm. uh, how do you think that changes our role uh, as intelligence professionals um, moving forward? Well, it certainly does in the sense that uh, what we pay attention to on a daily basis uh, is different. And I've seen several of these uh, shifts, you know, these sea changes, as we like to call them in the, in the, the sea services, uh, during my time. You know, the first half of my military career was during the Cold War. You know, then there was the post-Cold War in the, in the 90s when we didn't really know what we were doing uh, and we didn't see that this international terrorism problem was, was creeping up behind us. And then after 9-11, you know, it, it took us as, as a country and as a military uh, about 20 years to kind of get our hands around the problem of international terrorism. We you know, sort of uh, shown by uh, successful uh, tracking down and, and killing uh, terrorist leaders, bin Laden and others. We still don't have our hands around the problem, our arms around the problem of domestic terrorism, January 6th, like we were talking about. But the bigger problem facing us now, and this is what this sea change is all about, of course, is great power competition. Uh, and it really kind of uh, heightens the, the feeling uh, among all of us, or at least it, it should, you know, that, that when you're, you're walking to work every morning, you're, you're driving, driving through the gate every day, uh, you know, this, this means something a little more than maybe it did, uh, you know, a, a decade or two ago when when the problem of international terrorism was was still kind of out there. So so we need to you know sort of feel that in our in our step and, and realize you know it's kind of like we often hear at at NPS um, uh, Admiral Rondeau has often mentioned you know that that motto at U.S. Pacific Command you know fight tonight be ready to fight tonight. Now, I certainly hope that we don't have to fight tonight uh, here in Monterey, um, but we need to have that attitude that that we are, are getting ready for, uh, for the conflicts uh, to come and for the threats that exist today. So, Professor, what, what recommendations do you have for NPS students? You know, how, how do we fit into this whole, this whole context, right, this national security context and, and getting the message out? Um, mm -hmm. 
in general? Yeah, well, well first maybe I can sort of put in, in a sense of two different kinds of lessons. First, sort of on the, the daily sort of tactical uh, lesson, you know, you know, as you probably hear from folks like me who've been around for a little while, we like to think at least we've uh, learned some lessons over our lives. And, and one of my lessons uh, is what you've probably heard before. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have questions. We all need to get help from some people some of the time. But that can be pretty tough for us in the military. I still count myself as part of the military. You know, we're, we're trained uh, to be self-reliant, uh, to act as part of a team, but still be able to make, make decisions uh, and not go, go crying to, to somebody and ask questions. But the problem often comes up uh, here in Monterey in particular uh, with our students who are here in residence. You're in a different environment. You know, this is an academic environment that many of our students haven't been in since college. And the rules are different, you know, the rules about plagiarism, you know, writing, well, all these sorts of things. They're different. And we don't expect that you're going to know these rules, that you're going to understand how to fit in right away. And so it's important for you all to, to realize uh, that you can ask questions, you know, whether they're about little things like, you know, hey, how do I cite this, this source or, or big things? You know, I'm not, you know, sure that I can get my thesis done in time, those sorts of things. You know, it, and that kind of re reminds me uh, that back when I was on active duty, even though I was sort of a, uh, you know, a nerdy sort of guy, as, as some of us in the intelligence business are, maybe not you, but, uh, uh, you know, even back then, I actually wasn't very interested in reading academic work. You know, even the, the classified uh, journal articles that the intelligence community would publish didn't interest me because, you know, I was always doing the, the job, you know, that I that had to do that, that day. Um, and it's kind of surprising to me that, that now, years later, when I'm a professor, I tend to think that these articles written by professors, uh, they have something to say. And, and I just like to help our students understand that, that again, especially when you're, you're having a little bit of time in a master's program or certificate or whatever else you're, you're doing, you have a little time to sort of look at some of those other, other questions, look at some of the, the sorts of ideas that you wouldn't have paid attention to in your normal day-to-day -day job. And that gets to my sort of second, uh, sort of maybe big picture sort of lesson learned you know, I, I tend to, uh, to think when, I know when I go to the graduation and hear the graduation speakers, you know, we're always told, you're always told uh, good advice, like, you know, enjoy your time here and, and you know, you're not going to get it back and you need to, you know, play golf and things like that. Those are all pieces of good advice. But I like to give a little bit more specific piece of advice that comes from my own experience and some of the things we've talked about here. And that piece of advice is that for our students here at NPS, or if you're taking an on online NPS program, along with everything else that you're doing at NPS in your life, your, your profession, you should try to come up with what I call one big question that matters to you both personally and professionally. And try to spend part of your time here coming up with an answer to that question. You know, you may not answer it completely. If it's a really good question and a really big question, there's no one answer but you're gonna kick the can down the road of your understanding about that. Now for me, like I mentioned to you before, you know, that question that I thought about a lot through much of my career was sort of the big picture of, of what makes an intelligence failure and how can we do better and, and have intelligence success? How can we use intelligence to, to better maintain our, our uh, national security? Whatever your question is, come up with that question. Maybe you wanna write your thesis about it, maybe not. But if you spend at least part of your time here at NPS, in an NPS program, 
thinking about that question and sort of advancing your understanding of that and maybe even coming up with a possible answer to it, that's going to be an important part of what you get out of this program and how you actually end up contributing to our national security. As you can tell, I'm practicing here for someday when I get right, asked to right, do a yeah, graduation yeah. speech or something. This right. Is a, yeah, this is a great, you know, this, this is, is offline great, here, but yeah. a great opportunity to think about these things. Absolutely. No, this is great. All right, well, hey, Professor, I, I really appreciate your time, and uh, this is this is a really great conversation. I, I, I appreciate you coming down uh, to to the podcast, and uh, hope to hope to continue the conversation uh, here in a couple quarters uh, when I sign up for another one of your classes. So, uh, thank you again, thank you, and uh, that that's it for us. Thank thank you, Zach. I've really enjoyed it. Really good talking to you. And next time, let's see if we can be in the real Trident room. Uh, with something other than bottles of water. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroom.